Is it? Is it really? Are you sure it's in? Because don't you ask know... if it's in. That's <laughs> I love it when these things grow organically out of our conversations. Well, I mean, that's not the only thing that's going to be growing organically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at least growing anyway. I'm glad that you uh, continued what I was starting. <laughs> well, we had to finish, otherwise there might be some blue balling. This is 8-Bit, episode 114, The Guy from Texas, on Sunday, April 12, 2015, and now, How to Properly Bad English. This episode is hosted by Ian Buck and Ian Decker. So welcome to 8-Bit, where uh, we're always classy, and we start things very, very well. <laughs> it's classy? Always classy, yes. <laughs> Especially if we get the uh, the gentleman's single-use, unlubricated monocle. Yeah. Fine, I guess this is the time to whip out my pipe. I don't have any tobacco in it because I'm inside, but fine. I'll have monocle and pipe. I'll see if I can get one of them... What, what do they call them? A dapper top... No. What did Valentine ca- call his uh, top hat? Valentine? Yeah, in, um, in uh, Kingsman. Oh! I don't remember it. Okay. Oh, don't worry about it then. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get more into Kingsman later. Because, first, being that this is 8-bit, we're going to talk about video games and stuff. Uh, but before we do that, even, we're going to talk about... Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Andrew uh, writes in, Wow! That, that impression was almost accurate. Too bad uh, that his show will never be about programming again. So sad. And that's referring to the fact that last week, for April Fool's Day, we couldn't think of anything better than making fun of his show on our show. And so we had you do an impression of his show. By a man who has never seen. <laughs> and of course, uh, one of the things that you said was, you know, we're going to talk about programming and whatever. Uh, but... Yeah, Andrew says that it'll never be about programming again because, and I didn't realize this at the time, but <laughs> for their April Fool's Day uh, episode, they decided to take the food show and make it actually about food. So they just talked about food the whole time, and they also had uh, his friend Chris on, who just um, derails anything, any conversation that he's a part of. <laughs> it was It was quite a blast. It was pretty entertaining. Absolutely beautiful. And then uh, in response to our Borderlands 2 uh, DLC reviews, Andrew says that he's glad that we came to the same conclusion as him about, you know, Big Game Hunt being the worst Borderlands 2 DLC and Dragon Keep being the best. And P.S. Andrew just got the pre-sequel last weekend, so we should totally start playing it with him after we get back from our canoe trip. After we get back from our canoe trip. The answer to that is hell yes. Yes. <laughs> Which means that I also have to buy it, and oh, man. I'm so broke. Yeah. I'm a college. Well, you're going to be doing that anyway. Hmm? You're going to be doing that anyway. Are you sure? Continuing the tradition of playing through Borderlands together, yes. That tradition has only existed for one of the Borderlands games. Yeah, and look at how much fun we had with that. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I I just didn't wasn't as excited about the pre sequel as number two. Yeah. You're still good. Okay. I promise. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can totally play through it together. 
we'll just be spending a lot more time playing Star Citizen, probably. Oh, yeah. I'll be spending time doing stuff like cooking and working and whatnot. What? So, In the real think, world? I know. No way. <sighs> cooking, working, actually practicing, maybe writing music, all that fun stuff. I guess I'll spend some of that time um, making some audio dramas, like I'm so excited to do. So, let's talk about some headlines. Uh, dear listener, if you want to see the links to any of the articles that we are about to talk about, go to thenexus.tv slash eb114. So, I had never heard of Looking Glass before this week. They're, they were a developer during uh, the 90s, and they made a bunch of games that are like really, really highly regarded today, such as uh, the System Shock games and Thief. And they like influenced a bunch of games that I love today, like Bioshock and Deus Ex and Gone Home, um, with their kind of philosophy of making making a setting that is believable, uh, you know, where you actually think that that these people would live there, and and not forcing the player to go from, like, one waypoint to the next, you know, but but kind mm-hmm. of allowing the player to discover the story uh, on their own terms and mm. and wander around and, and pick up stuff. Yeah. Whether, whether figuratively or literally <laughs> picking up stuff. So the first open-world games, really? Not, not exactly open-world, but, like... Um, as close as you can get to. Yeah, like like basically just treating treating the player as uh more of an actor in this story than just somebody uh you know who who is kind of existing separate from the from the world from the story that they are experiencing. Yeah. Um and so, you know, Polygon had this nice long cover story about them and I was quite interested because I had no idea that that uh, this developer ever existed. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard to always know everything. But I must. <laughs> it is, it is my job. It is, what? That's what the internet's for. Hey, we're on the internet. Weird. I mean, there's there there's actually that sort of uh, debate about. Is it important to memorize everything or write down everything is something that we've been talking about in my uh, my memory seminar. Um, and I mean, like Socrates and Plato were, was saying that they they hated the fact that people could write stuff down because then that took away from from memory and having that on hand right away. And so it supposedly made you dumber because you didn't have all that information right there. Um, and I mean, there's obviously also stuff for for writing stuff down because it's, it activates the kinesthetic area of your brain for memorization and learning. Um, or maybe not kinesthetic area, but sort of for people who are kinesthetic learners, it's a generally better way to memorize things as opposed to just saying it over and looking and, um, or reading it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's, it's the written stuff that really gets passed down. It's not, stories will eventually fade or change or be forgotten over time um, if they are just passed on orally. Uh, and I know that that's in, in, in part just because of human, human fallibility. So we, we are able to fail. We are able to forget. Yeah. Um, and of course, and so, uh, the, now there's an entirely new category, not just like memorizing or writing things down. Um, now it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, 
I don't need to remember it. I don't need to write it down. I just need to remember where to find the information that somebody else wrote down at some point. Yeah. Since we have so, all I mean, that at our fingertips. Yeah. Just really cool. And at the same time, yeah, I can definitely see where he was coming when he was saying that, that it kind of dumbs people down because as someone with like a language who's studying a language, I know that, um, I have trouble with vocab because there's so much to memorize. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that when I'm constantly going and looking up words, it slows my translation down so much. Um, like if I knew all the words, um, I'd be able to read Latin fluently, but because I don't know all the words, I have to go and look stuff up. So I'm, I'm in some ways, or some people would consider me dumb because I didn't know, I didn't know the words. I wasn't able to be fluent because I didn't have that basis of the language down as well as somebody else might. Right, but uh, in a lot of areas where you know it's it takes uh, I guess more like reasoning kind of things. Um, not having to devote mental energy to memorizing everything allows you to take those ideas that you didn't have to memorize and combine them in new ways to you know to create new things like yeah you know when i when i'm when i'm programming i don't want to have to memorize or you know remember all of the syntax for all of the languages that i could possibly be writing in um you know i kind of want to just be able to be able to look up little bits and pieces of of you know things from whatever language from whatever framework i'm currently working with and then yeah do what i want to do yeah <clears throat> And I mean, it's also yeah, another interesting argument that I have against that is that when you're doing like PhD and doctoral um, work, what they will have you do, at least in classics anyway, is there will um, be before you actually, it also does it. They also do it for music. So I'm pretty sure it's anything that you're getting a PhD or equivalent in. They sit you down and then they quiz you on any anything from the subject at all. Um, and you have to be able to know that off the top of your head. So you have to be able to show those feats of memory. Um, so feats of memory are still, still very much so associated with higher intelligence. Right. I get, yeah. If we, if we are associating uh, PhDs with higher intelligence, sure. So I don't know. I just, I, I find it interesting. I'm still not sure how we got onto the subject from uh, talking about looking glass, but there you go. Remembering things. Um, ah, well, we're good at tangents, too. Yes. <laughs> so, moving on. So, Five Nights at Freddy's became a sensation largely thanks to how well it translated into Let's Play videos. So, oh, God. So hopefully Warner Brothers will keep that in mind when they make the movie that they just picked up the rights to. I, I'm? I, I find it crazy how quickly Five Nights at Freddy's has become the phenomenon that it is. Because, like, yeah. I yeah, I'm not familiar with any of that developer's previous works, and all of a sudden he just came out with, like, three games in, like, six months. And all of them have sold extremely well, you know, and everybody knows what Five Nights at Freddy's is. Uh, but, you know, just just uh, not long ago, like, nobody had ever heard of it because it didn't exist yet. 
And I now, just don't know how they're gonna make a story out of it. Well, there's oh man, there is a lot of like the story, the backstory and stuff for Five Nights at Freddy's goes really, really deep, and there are a lot of like hidden clues in the games um, that I only know about because I watched Markiplier play a bunch of them, and he, you know has has been reading forum posts and and you know has done like many 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 playthroughs of each of the games trying to find all of the clues and kind of piece together um what has been going on at this at this uh Chuck E. cheese like place yeah i suppose so i think about children's souls and you know animatronics and uh, i mean those things know. are creepy enough as is <laughs> Well, I mean, luckily there's uh there's like a happy ending, uh, the good ending or whatever in Five Nights at Freddy's Three, uh, where you, you know, free all of the souls of those of those children. So, oh, eventually it works out, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Now, speaking of movies, sometimes it's really tough being like a fan of something as popular as Star Wars because. Disney knows that every time that they come out with like a new the the same movies in a new format, they can charge like a lot of money, like twenty dollars a piece, and people will still buy them. Ugh. And of course, that's what's happening right now when they brought it to uh, digital download and streaming for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Kind of, kind of crazy. Um, I kind of feel like a fool for buying the Blu-ray versions or, you know, asking my family to get me the Blu-ray versions back uh, four years ago or whatever. How much did they cost or do I not want to know? Never oh, mind, it's man. for the past. Yeah, the, well, I think the Blu-ray set at the time was something like $90 or $100 or something like that. And that's still like the same price as the whole saga is going for uh, in uh, for digital download. That's just like stupid. It is. It is very. Though it's not this, just like stupid. It is stupid. And and uh, a kind of I guess bittersweet um, thing about about this new release is that uh, now of course they don't have the 20th Century Fox uh, fanfare at the beginning because this is uh, distributed by Disney now. Yeah, Disney. In some ways, that is really nice though. Depends on you know your feelings on Disney, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess I can't say that's nice or that's nice because in some ways I I really like the um uh on Brian work <laughs> the little Fox fanfare mostly because okay uh shoot Ryan's not there is he no but we can um, you were gonna go off talk on about another tangent aren't you kind of I mean it was only gonna take about a minute <laughs> because there's a version of um. The the twentieth century Fox fanfare that's played entirely on recorder and it is absolutely horrid and hilarious. <laughs> Wait, was it was it recorders really, or was it kazoo's? I feel I almost feel like it was kazoo's. It's definitely one with recorders. Okay. Um, we'll listen to it on the fringe. You guys can look that up your own. So bad, but it's so good. All right. Uh, I suppose it's me. Ah, Square Enix has announced Deus Ex Mankind Divided. The reveal was pretty complicated. They had a Twitch channel going with the man in a bare room. Mostly nothing happened, but occasionally viewers could vote on how he reacts to bigger events. 
and a Russian gaming site released information on the game early, and some of the details have been confirmed on Game Informer. Set two years after Human Revolution, Adam Jensen is once again the protagonist and will once again be a first-person stealth game. No release date, and it's coming to PC, PS4, and Xbox. And uh, I think so far they've come out with one trailer for it. It's It looked, oh my gosh, so cool. I need to play uh, Human Revolution now. Yeah, I mean, I still need to finish playing it too. It's seems like it's really very good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I just, you know, school and summer gets distracting sometimes. Yeah, and I, I don't know much about uh, the particular events of Human Revolution, but apparently uh, at the start of Mankind Divided, there's like uh, this big, like, this, I don't know, conflict going between, uh, like, augmented humans uh, and non-augmented humans, and there's, like, a bunch of augmented humans who are just being terrorists and awful. And, uh, mm. yeah. You you get to see Adam Jensen beating the crap out of a few of them uh, in the trailer. So, that's pretty cool. And, of course, of course, in the trailer, they, they showed off uh, a few, of, like, of, of the new abilities that you're going to have. Like, they don't talk about exactly how they work in the game or anything. Um... But, you know, yeah, we see him doing stuff that he couldn't do in the first game. Yeah. Let's see, where is that? I have that. should have that on here. Deus Ex Human Revolution. Uh, so, actually, one thing that I feel kind of bad about, but feel pretty awesome about at the same time, if you look at my screenshots for that game, you'll see just a place with a pile of bodies. Oh, boy. In the middle. Um, I did that all with one grenade. <laughs> Let's see, that is one, two, three, four, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven enemies down with one grenade? Do I feel bad? Kinda. Is it too late for that now? Yes. I only see two screenshots of yours from Human Revolution. One of them is a really dark hallway, and one of them is some stacked cardboard boxes. Should be up there. Oh. I guess I don't have that on there. Uh, one sec. <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, in the meantime, I'll talk about the next one. So, even though I don't play EVE Online, I really, really love it when, like, things get crazy in that game because um, you get you get to hear about these crazy giant battles that, you know, involve, like, thousands of players and and uh, the damage done is, you know, in the in the tens of thousands of dollars and it's um you know basically i i'm really just hoping that star citizen is is a really fun version of eve online because (laughs) the world of eve online and like the the concept the whole thing just fascinates me um so the reason i bring this up of course is because right now one of the bigger coalitions um the cfc is engaging in a massive assault on their main rival uh n3's space and at one particularly important moment this week, uh, the CFC had like 1,400 players attacking one station, and mm. Polygon interviewed the CFC's commander to find out, you know, like what all of this is about, and and um, commander, what do? Like, yeah, and and so like partially the the importance of this whole thing, but also like what kinds of tactics go into an Eve Online battle. Um, and of course, this is like part of a much, much larger assault where they're they're trying to carve out a 
big chunk of of N3's territory. Um, just crazy, crazy stuff. See so what happens with our little bounty hunter things. I don't think we're going to be necessarily getting into any big ass battles like that. No, and I doubt that you know we'll be uh, commanding thousands of real world players. I'd, I I mean, I'd kind of actually rather just be a normal working class person in Star Citizen and, and you know, create some interesting stories. Yeah. I still like bounty hunting. Or the idea of bounty hunting. Yeah, Caleb's been talking about, um, you know, some possibilities. Like, he, uh, he, he asked me about, you know, well, you, you know, you uh, really enjoyed flying that Super Hornet around during the week when all of the ships were free. You know, that's a two-seat uh, uh, ship that, you know, you can have Ian piloted and you can uh, be the gunner. And I was like, yeah, I like the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> For our bounty hunting exploits. Because I am such a good pilot. <laughs> Here's the next question, though. If I'm piloting, because you saw how crazy we went, will you actually be able to shoot anything? <laughs> well, the reason that we were going so crazy was because you were in third-person mode. That's true. Instead of, you know, so so the stuff that, that appeared to be directly in front of, of the camera was not actually what was directly in front of the ship. So the ship was not going where you expected it to, which is why you were serving around so much. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, because when I went and threaded it again in first person, it was just fine. Yeah, yeah, it's not too difficult. Though though on the race, I did. <laughs> we did have some interesting first person um, moments. Dude, the racetracks are so difficult. Like, I, I've been flying around them a bit uh, on my own, like, not, not even playing against other people, just trying to get, like, the fastest time that I could. And I've only had one lap total where I haven't crashed into something. <laughs> and I was immensely proud of myself for that lap. I got like a minute 33. <laughs> By far the best lap that I've ever done. Yeah. I'll see if I can beat it. If I can be your... Let me be your pilot. I will fly you around ever. I will put you in my trunk. My badonkadonk. <laughs> All right. So moving on. So... <laughs> because yes, that will be fun. I am so looking forward to living with you. <laughs> okay, so usually we think of representation in video games as a social issue, but when you consider that many free-to-play games have unlockable characters that cost money, you start to realize that it actually costs more to play as a female character. It's funny that it took a 12-year-old doing a research project for this to finally come to light. Yeah, she like huh. uh, she sampled... Um, like the the fifty most popular free to play games on uh, on I, I assume that she was on iOS or Android, and uh, and took a look at like how much it would cost to buy a female character in each of them, and you know like only only like fifty percent of them had female characters available. Period, and uh, on average it would cost like seven dollars and fifty cents to even play as a female character. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting. And I'm yeah, I'm I'm amazed that I hadn't seen any articles written about this kind of thing before. Because, um, yeah, like nobody cost talks about the cost of, of like the, the actual economic cost of playing as a female character. Yeah. It's an interesting huh. I mean, the ways you don't expect things to happen. Yeah. 
and luckily, like, um, a bunch of uh, game developers, like, after she she wrote this letter and and got it published in, uh, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, um, like, a bunch of them were like, okay, yeah, we didn't think of that, we'll change it. Uh, and one of them even made uh, a character named after her, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, this is so, weird. Speaking of economic costs, uh, YouTube has always been, you know, free for anybody to to use and and watch things on. Um, but of course, you know, it's it's ad supported generally. So YouTube will soon be giving viewers the option of paying. Um, a monthly fee, we're assuming that it'll be around $10 um, for ad-free viewing across the whole service, which means, uh, and, and so currently they, you know, they've got like their pilot version of this going for music videos that kind of ties into Google Music All Access subscription somehow. Um, anyway, so because it's going to, you know, it has to be like across the whole service, uh, otherwise it's going to be worthless, you know. Um, this means that all creators, uh, everybody who uploads stuff, will have to agree to these updated terms. Um, otherwise, their videos will be set to private instead of public. Um, so that's, I mean, this has the possibility, I think, of pissing off some people. But ultimately, really, you know, the, the money that comes in via this subscription is going to be distributed to... The content creators, uh, I think, you know, with the same, um, the same percentage as as ads do. So they'll they'll be getting fifty percent, fifty five percent of the uh, uh, the subscription, and then that fifty five percent gets distributed um, amongst all all channels, all creators, according to who has more views than others, kind of thing. So it'll be proportional. Um, and that's that's pretty similar to how the money in the uh, Google Music All Access program is is uh, distributed to musicians or to publishers or whoever. Mm. Could be interesting. Um, mm. I don't think so. If if that subscription fee is separate from Google Music All Access, I don't think that I would pay ten dollars a month to see YouTube stuff ad free. Would you? Probably not. I mean, doesn't ad block add-ons? Don't they do that sort of thing already? Yes, take but, I, but I but I turned off ad block for YouTube because I want to su- support you know the creators that I watch. I can I can respect that. Um, no, it's still not worth ten bucks a month for ad-free viewing. As um, annoying as those ads are, yeah, they're they're generally not very long, so it's not a huge yeah. deal. No. Um, oh, this reminds me actually. This week I, I read uh, an article written by Hank Green about um, you know like different different ways that video creators uh, can make money because like let's be honest the uh, the ad revenue that they get on YouTube is not enough for most people to like make a living off of it um, and so his his ultimate like conclusion was. Um, um, his ultimate conclusion was that you know the the best the best way that he's found is to simply ask uh, you know viewers to just donate a bit of money uh, usually through Patreon you know yeah. and uh, and like it it might you know you might feel dirty doing that um, 
but you know, if if you if you have just a few like really loyal uh, fans who you know have the disposable income and and have the willingness to help you out, then you know, then why not ask for them? You know, for them to help you out. Yeah. And it's not you know it's not hurting anybody. Um, you know, I mean, I guess if you go like overboard and start guilting your viewers into like donating, that's kind of icky. Uh, I mean. Yeah, no, that's that should never be okay to guilt someone for really anything. <laughs> no, yeah, em- emotional manipulation is generally uh, not a good thing. Agreed. And like you know, NPR uh, donation drives kind of uh, push the line there, in my opinion, because <laughs> they go on for a long time and they mention them all the time during that period. It's really annoying. Yeah, that and I mean like the PBS ones too. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I meant by by NPR. Oh, right, right, yes, because yeah, okay, on on television, yes, yeah, yep, yep. Speaking of PBS, I'm really, really liking uh, the stuff that the PBS Digital Studio is coming out with because they have some really good shows, hmm. and most of those are distributed through YouTube, if not all of them. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. I mean, I love the fact that they have that. There's a lot of Novas for free. Up on PBS as well as on YouTube. Ah, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, but I guess the the difference there is that uh, yeah, Nova was originally made for television, whereas like the stuff that the PBS Digital Studio does are purely made for digital distribution over the true. internet. Yeah. That's true. I mean, so just so long ever... as I get to watch Nova, I don't care because I love Nova. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk some reviews. Um. So this week, uh, since we're you know we're still in the midst of Hearthstone's uh, Black Rock Mountain expansion thingy, uh, this week's wing is Molten Core, and holy crap, does it have some of the hardest bosses that I have ever played in Hearthstone? Um, yeah, okay, let let me tell you about them, Ian. So the first one has a bunch of zero five uh, minions, right? Mm-hmm. Not a big deal, except that. When any of them dies, they deal damage to you according to how many of them died that turn. So it starts it starts with seven on the board. Oh and it's and, and their hero power is that uh it's a one mana hero power and it does this hero power every single turn. It deals one damage to every minion on the board. So if oh. you don't do something about those uh those zero fives then if they all die on the same turn due to uh, the boss's hero power, then you will get, I believe that is 49 damage dealt to you. That's disgusting. Yeah. There's no way that you can uh, survive that. So basically you have to strategically, like, you play a class that can whittle down individual uh, minions, you know, in terms of health. So, so you know, you you basically deal a little bit of damage to each of them so that so that you stagger their health and and you know you get like one or two of them dying each turn. Um, yeah. Basically, the takeaway for that is mage will work pretty well. <laughs> I mean, or you can just rush it. There was so I've been um, so when I was trying to do my uh, my daily quest yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was really frustrating. I'll tell you about that in a sec. Um, I played a war, or I I had to build a warlock deck, um, okay. and I didn't really know what all to do with it. So I just made it sort of aggro. 
So lots of creature creatures and just get them all out onto the field. And I won in like four or five turns at least at one point in time. So you could do that too, possibly. Um, yeah, let's see. I, uh, which, which, uh, I, th- I think I probably just used, yeah, my warlock aggro deck, uh, to beat it. Cause I mean, straight up, that's just my best deck. So, yeah. 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 And it was just really frustrating for me anyway, just cause I, so I build this deck up, um, not really knowing exactly what I'm doing. And I go and genius me, joy, oh joy, genius me. Um, I win the first four handedly. Okay. Just fine. Proceed to lose the next five. <laughs> and just eventually give up. Um, but those first four would give you like extra bonus stars, right? Are we talking about ranked? No. Oh, okay. This is just casual. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the, the second boss is um, their hero power is if you, the player, have any mana unused, then uh, they do... Ooh, how much damage was it? Was it five damage, I think, to the to your hero? Yeah. So basically you have to strategically uh, use your mana every turn so that you use all of it. <laughs> so he's a very early game guy, too, because if you get to late game when you don't have any draw, draw mechanics, you just aren't able to get enough stuff out of the field. Um... Yeah, I mean, ideally, a, a well-balanced deck that you build will have stuff to do throughout the game. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and, and like, compound onto these, of course, the fact that they are giving these uh, these bosses, like, really, really good cards to play against you. <laughs> so you have to play against ridiculous mechanics and... Against, okay, don't put your head there because that makes lots of uh, arctic wind. <laughs> You're awful. Stop that. Okay, stop that. And then um, the last boss is, oh my god, so crazy. Um, so ultimately you're going up against Ragnaros, the Fire yes. Lord. Yes. But, but... It's a two-stage boss. So before you get to Ragnaros, you have to go against his Major Domo, who has 30 health, um, you know, as normal. Uh, his uh, uh, hero power is uh, summon a 1-3 um, minion. And the gimmick here is that he starts with, like, four Molten, molten Giants or something, whatever it's called, um, which is an 8-8 that costs... It's, it costs 20 mana usually, but it costs one less for each damage that you have taken. So if you're at 15 health, then it costs 5 mana. If you're at 10 health or lower, then it costs 0. So basically what the Major Domo does is waits until, like, it, it just plays a terrible game until you get it down to, like, 12 or 10 or less health and then just plays out this entire hand of 8-8s, and you're faced with, like, four or five or six, like, just gigantic monsters that you can't deal with. And then you get... And then you you manage to, you know, kill the Major Domo, but that doesn't wipe his minions off the board when he turns into Ragnaros. (laughs) So now you're faced with Ragnaros, which has... who has uh, eight health and eight armor, and his hero ability... Is he Eight damage deals, to a random enemy. 
Yep, eight damage to a random enemy. It is crazy. You know how I know this? How do you know this? Because one of the people who I lost against had a card that turned you into Ragnaros the Fire Lord. Oh, right. No, I played against you with that. Was that you? Yeah, that was me. No, yeah, there was somebody else too with my Warlock deck. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, uh, why are they putting me up against good people? I'm not this good. <laughs> uh, because it's casual and they, you know, have like no way of measuring how good people are in casual, I guess. Um, damn, damn, damn. But yeah, no, it, it it is crazy. So the only reason that I managed to beat Ragnaros in the Major Domo was because I got really, really lucky. Like on my fifth try, I was playing with my Druid deck, and I managed to get out like just before he started playing all of his uh, uh, big eight eights. Um, I I managed to get. Uh, Kel'Thuzar out, which is the 6-8 who uh, resurrects all of your minions who die each and every single turn. And I managed to get two of my Ironbark protectors, the 8-8 with Taunt. Ah. So I got both of those out and Kel'Thuzar, and because of that, and, and I hadn't like brought him all the way down to 10 health or less. I, I let him sit at like 16 or 15 or something uh, mm-hmm. to, to you know let him play just a couple of those at a time and so that I could deal with them. So every turn, yeah. you'd, like, you'd play two more of those 8-8s, and then I would attack them with my 8-8s, kill all of them, kill mine as well, and then get my 8-8s back. <laughs> and so that, that was, like, I just, I just let him, like, play out his hand until he had nothing left and then killed him. Hmm. And that and that worked out pretty well. And <laughs> the funny thing about it is, I was uh, doing this on campus, so you know, on my on my tablet. And by the time I got to that fifth try, I was getting, I was, you know, at like twelve percent battery or something. And I realized that I was actually doing well in this in this try. And I was like, shit, shit, shit! I need to find like a, a, an outlet or like a battery or something to like make sure that I don't run out of battery in the middle of this game. <laughs> What would you have done if just as you were about to hit, it shut up? Oh, I would have been so angry because I don't <laughs> know how long it would take me to get back to that lucky uh, that lucky draw, that lucky hand. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh. But yeah, no, so I'm, I'm also kind of confused now because this is only the second of like five wings, right? And now you've taken down Ragnaros, so who are you going to be going against from now on? Um, Who are you gonna slay? Ghostbusters. I'm assuming that it's gonna be like the uh, whatever his name is, the guy who has been um, egging you on and getting you to, you know, go up against Ragnaros and expel him from this mountain. Because after you beat Ragnaros, he goes like, "Ah ha ha! The mountain is mine." Oh, yeah. Yep, probably. Probably. So on a, on a, well, before that, on a fun oh, note, yeah. speaking of other. TCG sort of stuff. I participated or participated in my first um, Magic the Gathering uh, sealed tournament this weekend. Sealed tournament? Do you mean like a draft? Kind of like a draft. You, you're given six packs and then you make a forty card deck out of them instead of passing them around. Oh, okay. You just straight up get six packs. Got it. Um, and I came in the top eight, which I was not expecting to do, just because this was really my first anything sort of tournament related. Mm-hmm. So nice. yeah. What kind of deck did you build? Um, red, white, aggro. Of course. <laughs> Favorite one was one called Hero's Blade. Okay, what's it do? It's a two cost. 
Um, if I bring out a legendary monster, I can or legendary creature, I can uh -huh. automatically equip it to that. Otherwise, it costs four to equip, and it's it's a plus three plus two. Oh boy! So that thing was doing work. My my favorite one that I did. So I was playing up against a guy. I he had me down to six health, and he was at like twelve. He swung with everything, and he had this. Um, so it's red white. So it was warriors. Um, uh -huh. and he had this this card that um every every warrior that you have now has double strike. Oh. <laughs> well, I had pumped up this guy. Uh, this warrior that I had with both equipping that sword to him as well as I had played something on it that has something called rebound or a mechanic called rebound where once you play it, it gets exiled and then you um, bring it in uh, at the beginning of your upkeep and can play it again for free. Mm. And that um, happens every turn? Uh, no, just once. Because after, after you do the... It's only once you play it out of your hand. Once you do the rebound, then it goes just to your graveyard. Okay, got it. But so he had, I think I was swung at him with the seven with double strike when he didn't have anything left to. No creatures. No creatures left. Well, no, he did have creatures. He had one creature left, but he had attacked with it the previous his turn, so it, uh, it was tapped. So. so I, that was I, damage right there. That was fourteen. Plus, I was able to swing with the other guy too, so that was eighteen damage. And I'm assuming that you had, you had done something to him before that, so that was good. I whittled him down to like eleven. <laughs> nice. Um, but again, I wasn't expecting to actually do well, and then suddenly I'm like, "Oh, top eight! What?" So, do you think that that's the deck that you're going to keep, sort of as it is, or are you gonna? Well, I have another red white. Other things. I have another red white aggro deck. Um, so maybe combine so the best probably, of them. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll combine them. Yeah, because I mean, I still have. I've been meaning to redo the other aggro deck with stuff that I have already. Uh, like the 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 red white god, which I have, but I've been forgetting mm. to bring out. Okay, so it's gonna be fun. Oh, they also have this thing. Um, trying to remember what the mechanic is called, but you can play a monster for a different cost for than its usual thing, and then you bring it out onto the field with haste, and then you can swing with it, obviously, and then. Put it, it goes back to your hand at the end. So if you just have nothing out on the field, really, or like some sort of barriers up mm -hmm. that are able to defend, you can just keep on bringing that thing out and pinging them over and over again on your turn. And so that uh, you can do that because that creature itself has that ability? Yes. Or, okay. I wasn't sure if it was something else that was allowing you to bring any arbitrary creature that you had in your hand out that I wouldn't way. be surprised if there was a card that allowed that to happen at some point in time where it's all the creatures that you have now have rebound or whatever the mechanic is called for like two less or two more of their usual cost. Okay. So like with something like Vampire Nighthawk. Kaka! Kaka! Bring out smack you and then take your life and then run away. Or oh actually with a red-white one that I have called Spark Trooper. It's a 6-1 um, with Haste, Lifelink, and Trample. Haste, Lifelink. Wow. Um, and it's it's a four-cost, but it's also it dies at the end of your turn. So, so if, if I it was... rebounds back to your hand, then it won't die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could do that over and over again. Assuming that they don't block it with anything. Yes. Yes, yeah. that's very true. Okay, well, on to, on to the other reviews, which aren't necessarily <laughs> game reviews, but 
no. still things that we found phenomenal. Because, yeah, basically this week, instead of playing games, I just, like, watched a bunch of movies slash TV show type things. Um, the first of which was Kingsman. Oh, my God. No. I'm so glad that you told me that I needed to go and see this movie because it is excellent and everybody needs to go see it. I mean, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Nope. And I think that's my favorite part because then they do it right with not taking itself seriously at all. So the the first thing that I really noticed about the movie when I was watching it was, like, within the first five minutes, I was just blown away by the cast that they had. Um, and, like, it it just kept getting better, you know? So I, I don't really want to say any specifics because... Um, but, like, you know, one of the side effects of this was that it was kind of weird seeing, like, really famous actors uh, playing characters who just kind of died off right away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um See, so yeah, I think you know in in the uh, well, I yeah, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> Crazy thing, and I didn't realize this until after I saw it. Mm-hmm. But the professor, yeah, Mark Hamill. Yeah, I didn't realize that was Mark Hamill. <laughs> Neither did Sonya. <laughs> Holy crap, he looks different. Uh, different than what? Well, I mean, he he got into a really bad motorcycle accident. Yeah, a few years back, so that 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 rearranged his face a little bit, and then there's the whole. Well, I'm used to mainly seeing him in Star Wars. Yeah, do you, do you know how long it's been since the last Star Wars movie that Mark Hamill was in? Just a little while. <laughs> Just a little while. So I think even without that, he would look quite a bit different. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I wasn't surprised because the like I've seen him also in uh, some sci-fi original movie uh, where he was like, playing a uh I, I guess some sort of detective or whatever um so i i know what he looks like as uh you know an older adult <laughs> yeah the the last movie that i saw him in was i i might have been a sci-fi original movie i don't know but it was so bad that i don't ever want to watch it again unless i'm really drunk and intend on making fun of it well that applies uh, to pretty much every sci-fi original movie ever it was called laser hawk <laughs> Let let me see if I can. Awful. Uh, IMDb got a four point two out of ten. Nice. So here's 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 the synopsis, um, or the the showing one one plot summary. Teenagers in a Midwest town discover that they are destined to fight off an alien invasion as the crew of a spacecraft of unknown origin. They are aided by a mysterious patient in a psychiatric hospital and a frenetic comic book artist. So the comic book artist is able to um, predict what's going to happen. And so he makes the comics about it. Sounds um, like quality. Let's see. Stars Jason James Richter. Um, Gordon Curry, Melissa G- uh, Galeanos, Mark Hamill. Either way, it was just... Let's go back to the actual quality movie that we were talking about a moment ago. Yes, please. <laughs> Kingsman! <laughs> so, um, I really, like, I, I think my favorite moment from the movie was uh, the pyrotechnic scene at the end. Yep. Um, pomp and circumstance. And Best of course, yes. pomp and circumstance I've ever seen. I was kind of expecting uh, them to use something like the 1812 Overture, uh, but I guess that would be too direct of a reference maybe to V for Vendetta? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe just it's too cliche at this point. Plus, I mean, that that one's a little too exciting. This has to be relaxed. 
I suppose. Com- yeah. Completely alter the mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other um, amazing uh, musical choice was uh, in the scene at the church um, with the, I, I, I don't know what rock song it was, but it was just, it was a, it was a song with like an obscenely long uh, guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Which made it that that scene so much more amazing. <laughs> I, I the the church scene was by far oh, okay. I both loved and hated the church scene. Yeah, because I loved the beginning. Yeah, and the the latter part of it was was really cool. But at the same time, it was also just like, oh, that's a little much. <laughs> well, and and that was the intention of the scene. Of course, was to have this this giant uh fight scene that was just like longer than than any of us uh are really expecting or necessarily prepared for um yeah. you know in in the in the words of uh of the director i believe he said that he wanted a ballet of carnage sounds about right and i'll i'll tell you guys why that was my favorite scene or why the first part of that was probably my favorite part of the whole movie in just a little bit no go go for it say it now okay so there's this church, am I allowed to tell what this church is and whatnot? I mean, it's basically satirizing the Westboro Baptist Church. Very much so. Yeah. Who I have wanted to moon and have had close chances to moon, but never actually got to moon. Uh, anyway, um, they're a Midwest thing. I didn't realize that until I went on tour last year. They're from Kansas City. So there's Hate Church, and one of the characters is sitting in the church looking out for the bad guy. And he doesn't see the bad guy coming, so he gets up to try and leave because um, he's not really sure what's going to happen, but he wants to be in this place where he can react. Um, and so the woman who he's sitting next to is blocking him from getting out. Um, she's going, what's your problem? What's your problem? And he responds with, with this quote, and I need to memorize this for, for future use. I'm a Catholic whore currently engaging Congress out of wedlock with my black Jewish boyfriend who works at a military abortion clinic. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon, madam. I'm confused about why he included at a military abortion clinic. Like Because Westboro it... Baptist Church pickets military funerals. Oh, really? I didn't realize that they had beef with, uh, with the military. Because the military allows gay people in. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> of course. They hate the military. And so, like, one of the main things that they have on the science that they pick it with is God hates the USA and that the wars and our soldiers dying is proof of it. And so, thank God for dead soldiers. Nice. I That's just... tax I, 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 God, I hate those people. Words cannot express how much I hate those people. Uh, they make themselves be easy to hate, don't they? Yeah. And they make themselves here. Here's the worst part. They're a hate group, obviously promoting hate beyond all reason. And I hate myself for hating them. Not because they're a hate group, but because in some ways that makes me as bad as they are. Yeah. Um, I guess. Yeah. Well, just make sure that you're not hating the people hate what they're doing. That's true. You know? Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. If I could just take out a couple of leaders, that'd be okay. Right. <laughs> Uh, leaders or liters? I'll get my pounds of flesh one way or another. <laughs> or is it kilograms of flesh? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, well, considering that in in the original 
Merchant of Venice, it was a pound of flesh. Um, yes. What? I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Isn't that a, isn't that a Shakespeare? That is a Shakespeare play. Okay. In the Shakespeare play, there's a Jewish moneylender who lends uh, money to this guy, and he's not able to pay him back in time because all of his ships that he to this merchant, um, all all of this all of the ships that he had out with all of his goods were sunk in a storm. Mm-hmm. And so the the agreement that he had was instead of paying him money, he would loan him money on because he wanted a pound or not he didn't want um but. The only caveat was that he would get a pound of flesh if he wasn't able to, to pay him back. So it was, I'll lend you money, and I want you to pay me back. But if you don't pay me back, um, then we will count one pound of your flesh as equivalent payment. Okay. Um, and so it's just the, the, the metaphor of a pound of flesh is essentially due payment, but cruel due payment. Okay. Or at yeah. least that's how it is in my mind. The only play, the the only place that I've really been uh, exposed to that phrase is, of course, Borderlands. So, yeah. yes. But so when, but yes, when I say the pound of flesh, I'm referring to the Merchant of Venice. If you'd like, we actually have a live action film of it at my house. Nice. So we could watch the play if we wanted to feel classy. I'll or bring we the could wine. Find somewhere where it's actually on stage and watch that. We could do that too. Mm-hmm. But then I can't drink wine while watching it. Well, you just got to find the right uh, theater, don't you? Chan Hassan, here we come. <laughs> so back to the movie. Um, I, since since I'm uh, I'm a little weird, I always notice product placement, of course, and I, I you know not only noticed in the in the way of a consumer, uh, uh, you know, going, oh yeah, I know that brand, but also like kind of judging the product placement itself. Um, I found it very strange to see two different uh, laptop companies having product placement in the same movie because we saw both Samsung and uh, Lenovo laptops. And that got me thinking, like, is product placement less effective when the product is associated with an unlikable character? Uh, Because, like, one of those uh, you only see in the hands of um, uh, a politician who is just, like, thoroughly on on i mean he was he was a despisable person i'm a republican i don't care (laughs) but we'll talk about that again later yeah um one of the things that i really appreciated was uh they had a character who had a disability who kicked ass despite and actually you know using her disability to her advantage that was really cool Mm -hmm. i just don't like her because she was one of the bad guys well i mean but they had a lot of like really enjoyable bad guys. Oh yes, because this is a movie that's just meant to be like a good time. Um, I can't stand the sight of blood. <laughs> just one drop and that's all over. And it's all over. Projectile <laughs> vomiting. <laughs> oh my god! I killed him. Did I kill him? Is he dead? <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson with a lisp is amazing. By the way. <laughs> Come to think of it, I don't think that there's anything that he could do in a movie to like make me not enjoy Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, if he doesn't say fuck at least once. I don't remember if he did in this movie. Oh, he definitely did. More than once. Oh, yeah. Um, I did notice that uh, among... So, so the of course, this movie involves like a, a secret... Uh, spy organization sort of thing, special agent stuff. And uh, so, you know, they had a bunch of, like, candidates who were trying out to 
join this organization. And I, I think the representation among the candidates could have been like way, way better because one of the things that they pointed out in the movie was like, this is uh, you know, a group that is that is not affiliated with any outside organizations, you know, it doesn't have government oversight, it doesn't have political affiliations or anything. And but but like despite that, all of the candidates were Brit from Britain and uh only two of them were women. Uh and then they also fell into a few traps, such as, you know, using the phrase, at least the girls got balls. So a little disappointing. Um Yeah. Yeah. I mean they can't do it. it. It was mainly there for an action movie and for quick laughs and quick giggles that were kind of kind of cheap in some ways. It wasn't meant to be anything groundbreaking, so I don't see why they would necessarily spend time fighting a lot of those sorts of tropes. Right, so but I, I do appreciate but I, it when they do. Yeah, I want to live in a world where it's not strange for a, a movie that isn't pushing boundaries to actually have decent representation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So I mean, let, let's let's hold all movies to that standard. Um, I also uh, also another one of their uh, cheap jokes. I I wasn't really sure how I felt about sex being used as a re- or you know being used as a reward because um, I mean I don't think that's healthy in any relationship. <laughs> well, was it really a was it really being used as a reward? Um, yes, she literally said, if you save the world, we can do it in the butt. Well, uh, Which, yes, was hilarious, but... <laughs> no, no. Ah, you said butt. Um, I don't know if I would consider that a reward, because, I mean, I, I was thinking of that as, like, if you were actually able to save the world, then I will be impressed with enough with you that, that's, that that'll be what I'll want to do. So I well, I suppose that is in some ways still a reward. Yeah, it kind of is. And I mean his 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 uh whole like his motivation there was purely like, Oh, you're a Swedish princess? I've never kissed a princess before. I've always wanted to do that. Like, you know I think that's just a line that he was using. I think he just wanted to kiss her because she was pretty. Well that too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> there you're probably looking into it a little too much. And I, I mean, I guess I probably shouldn't be uh, surprised because you know those freaking Swedes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of course, being a computer science student, I noticed a few tech stuff that they got wrong in the movie, uh, such as talking about, yeah, this this SIM card is compatible with any device, any phone, any laptop, any tablet. No, not even, not even close. <sighs> That's like, no. <laughs> Do I need to explain why that's wrong? Oh, man. Um, and then, also, I was really, really mad that they used, like, all right, we're going to blow up one satellite and his entire network is going to go down. Like, if you're building a network such that one node leaving is going to, like, make the whole network inoperable, then you are seriously doing networks wrong. I mean... You gotta make some flaw some way. <laughs> no, like the whole okay. So the the original principle, the original reason for the internet existing was to have a robust network that you know it, like, could reroute itself around junctions, around nodes that that go down. You know. Yeah. Which is why I mean, it was originally a military project. Think about this. They 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 actually were talking about how they wanted this to be sort of a 
a, a silly movie, like with the talking about the different characters and how they missed the old Bond movies and how there was this some crazy complex contorted plot and then some crazy complex contorted solution. Mm-hmm. Where so I think that that actually plays into the what the movie was trying to do and that they knew how ridiculous that was and that well they I mean, were playing I, on that because that's what they were wanting to do. Except, I mean, when they, when they were directly talking about, like, the crazy complex stuff, uh, he immediately followed it up with, this isn't that kind of movie, and proceeded to not do, you know, what they were just talking about with complex plots and counterplots. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. <clears throat> no? At the dinner. The dinner. The dinner? The dinner. Oh, the, oh, the, the Big Mac dinner. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Right, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yes, it was a, this isn't that kind of movie. But there was also, this isn't that kind of movie where it's supposed to be something serious. And in the end, they, they, they kind of proved that this isn't that kind of movie was something that was meant to be taken as as a joke or sort of a catchphrase as opposed to something big and crazy and super cheesy. Yeah. And that isn't to say that they got everything techy in the movie wrong. Um, because I really, really appreciated their portrayal of augmented reality. Uh, I definitely think that that's kind of the direction that it's going to take. Is yeah. you know, we'll, we'll wear glasses that don't look like crazy, uh, you know, crazy computers on our faces. They'll they'll just look like normal glasses, and then use them for things like having a shared screen projected on a wall that isn't actually projected on the wall. It's just that everybody who uh, ha- you know, has the glasses on has access to you know, the information on that screen will see it in the same place and then can reference it you know, in the same context kind of thing as everybody else. Yeah. Um, or like with the video call when they were drinking the, their toasts. Yes, yes, yeah, having holograms that aren't actually holograms. I don't think that we'll ever actually have to invent holograms if we have good augmented reality. Yeah. Let's just hope that we can actually take our glasses off then and be able to tell augmented reality versus reality. Uh, that, yeah. that would be an issue that would come up if singularity was ever achieved. Um, if by issue you mean awesome! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't want to suddenly look around a corner and then there'd be... Um, some dude with a gun running at me, pointing at me, screaming, and he's not actually there. It's just some internet troll being a dumbass. Uh, hopefully, you would have to opt into any sorts of things that you would be seeing. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, yeah. We we just we yeah. We need to a, a approach the technology with you know like in a common sense kind of way. Yeah. Like not just rejected outright, not just accepted without any any uh, you know any reservations, but like yeah. take it as you know take it as it comes and figure out best uses and and what it should be used for. Yeah, yeah um, so just proceed with caution. Um, there there was one line in the movie that I really 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 liked and stuck with me, and I think is going to kind of become my philosophy. Uh, being a gentleman isn't a f- about feeling superior to everybody else. It's about feeling superior to your former self. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that because um, that definitely fits with my like ideal of never settling for for how I am now. You know, always trying to improve myself hmm. and get better in the in the way that 
uh, I act towards other people, how I, you know, think about things, you know, just never, never, never accepting, like, my current self as perfect, because we never will be. Yeah. See, I actually, I have an in, sort of an opposite outlook on life, where I'm, I'm still kind of attempting to um, accept myself, because I'm, I'm rather self-conscious about, about several things, including body image, which is really funny if you consider that I would, that I've been an aquatics staff member for the past four years. And, and have everything. gotten uh, adults hitting on you at camp. Yeah. But I mean, so it's, it's being able to accept who I am and acknowledge the fact that who I am and what I am is not necessarily something I can always change. But at the same time, yes, there's how I treat other people can always be improved on. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose it's more a mannerisms thing that I try and, or I don't consider my mannerisms as necessarily being part of me. I consider how they, they are how I interpret things, but I don't necessarily consider how they're a part of me or that they're a part of me in some way. Right. So I mean, it's and just a different outlook. In the case of like body image though, um, you know, your, your physical body isn't necessarily what you should improve on. What you, what you may need to improve on is your own perception. You know, yeah, kind of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah. One of one of my one of my biggest complaints for the movie, of course, is British accents sometimes hard to understand, and in particular, Eggsy, the main character, I couldn't understand like a word of what he was saying in some scenes. <laughs> I find funny. I was able to understand him just fine. I I, I think I don't know that that urban London accent just couldn't do it. And if Fine, watch, watch more Doctor Who. <laughs> no, oh my gosh. Like, Rose Tyler's mom cannot understand her ever. Yeah, get some practice. <laughs> also, I apologize if I cut out here. There's a thunderstorm going on right now. Ah, well, so I guess that's hear... better than your computer catching fire. Yeah. So if you hear any crackling or booming, that's what's going on. Um, yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just because I, I have a tendency towards language. That's part of what music is. Music is it's, it, in itself its own language. Plus, I mean, you have heard and seen how well I pick up different accents from all over the place. Mm -hmm. Where I'm able to pick up sort of, without necessarily thinking about it, the, the intricacies of and the specifics of certain areas, inflections. So I, I, I listen specifically to the music within the words, and so I have to be able to understand the words in order to put the music back into them. Right, but it, I think, for example, when I was uh, in Sweden, um, I was joking around with a few people, and you know, they were like, "So, so who's got the the hardest accent to understand?" You know, for you, a uh, native English speaker, and I was like, "You know, it's the guy from Texas." <laughs> and like, I was initially joking, and he got all indignant and everything, as predicted. Um, but but then I suddenly realized, you know, like there might actually be something to that because as a native English speaker, he and I didn't feel the need to like um, alter our speech and like try to be as clear as possible because we're so used to speaking in English that we just, you know, we, we take it for granted the way that we speak. And that would apply, obviously, to people from England as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, like, they, they're, not, they're not necessarily going to put in the effort, uh, the same effort as somebody who has English as a second language. 
to to you know enunciate and be as understandable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I got to make fun of the Texas show. show. Where we have now replaced innuendos with philosophy, and sometimes it's the philosophy of innuendos. It's pretty great. Man, we should have done this for April Fool's Day, except it would have been real. Yeah. I mean, so next week, or maybe in two weeks, um, I'm hoping to be able to do the Talos Principle, review the Talos Principle, because I've been playing that a bit with with my roommate, where he's been hanging out in the chair next to me and sitting with me and watching me play all of these... Um, not only the puzzles, but we're, we've been sitting and talking about and thinking about all the philosophical stuff that goes in the game. Because he absolutely loves philosophy. Um, so I'm going to try and have him on to help me talk about that a little bit later. And maybe I can have him talk about Dark Souls, both 1 and 2, just because those are games that he's been playing through and absolutely loving. And I should, uh, I should play through Talos as well uh, so that I can actually contribute to that conversation. Yeah, because there's a lot to talk about in Talos. And uh, so speaking of philosophy, I believe that debates are a big part of uh, the development of <laughs> philosophy. So you had something that, uh, that we disagreed on in the, about this movie. So I felt that the movie was um, that it very much so played to both political sides. Um, yeah, I agree, with so, I agree on that. It's like that President Obama was getting blown up um, uh, in the movie and then this the one of the nasty politicians going i'm a republican as well as the church scene um with all the crazy stuff from there because those are a lot of associations that we generally tend to make with people who are extraordinarily conservative or yeah conservative christians um just sort of everything that happened there so um just uh oh and so the thing that we disagreed on about that though was you thought it was more Democratic sided, whereas I thought it was more Republican sided. Yeah, in, in terms of uh, favoring one side or, or the other. Yeah. Uh, in 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 amount of making fun of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like I think one of the things that you that you mentioned as as uh, making fun of the left was the fact that uh, Valentine was you know they're talking with Obama and and Obama's head getting blown up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh um i i mean because i didn't fighting with the bad guy right um but i mean yeah like i i didn't really see it as making fun of the left necessarily i just saw it as them using the current president to like show how high up valentine's influence went you know in in the yeah. political system um which was pretty important cuz i mean like Yes, he had the Swedish uh, prime minister, but like, who pays attention to the Swedish prime minister? Swedes. Yeah, Swedes. Exactly. Um, I mean, my my main argument for it being more Republican sided was that, um, so the issue that Valentine is trying to battle is his supposed global warming, um, and I mean, he's not denying that it's going to happen. Um, in fact, he's vehement about it happening, and that it's it's inevitable at this point. Um, and that it's basically impossible to fix um, other than what he's doing to try and fix it. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, basically he takes the extreme side of, like, there are too many people, we need to get rid of a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, and I don't... I in part agree with that, but... <laughs> yeah, we definitely have too many people, and I'm actively uh, trying to take a role in not 
adding to that problem. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that that was really making fun of the left because I don't, you know, nobody on the left really like is going to say let's kill off a bunch of people. Um, but I mean, to be fair, like nobody on the right really agrees with West Westboro Baptist Church. You know, like the those yeah. like those two that those two are very very extreme viewpoints and don't yeah. represent the majority of people, no matter where on on you know the political spectrum they fall. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, in some ways, it was the fact that that the 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 main bad guy was the one that was following the extreme democratic views yeah or not democratic uh right left wing. right left sorry i can never remember which is which <laughs> i know there's liberals and conservatives and those are the only two names i know and those are the only two names i need to know uh so just remember left is liberal ll ll got it yeah so i mean yeah and and it, i mean yeah it, it is kind of hard to identify because it doesn't take on any like of the of the more middle road ideas you know like it doesn't talk about um economic theories or you know like big government versus little government which is something that you know reasonable people disagree on yes yeah but it's more fun to have an unreasonable one so that everyone can sort of get behind getting rid of them yeah and since this is a movie about just having a good time, you know, watching a funny movie, like, of course they're not going to be making fun of, uh, you know, beliefs that a large portion of, of the population holds. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a feeling that this movie, we, we're probably just looking into it way too much, to be completely honest. Hey, we have critical thinking skills from our liberal arts educations. <laughs> We wow. gotta put it to use somewhere, and right now we're thinking about Kingsman. <laughs> so long as we're not drinking PBR, I'm okay with that. Uh, what? PBR. Yeah. It's is a kind that, of beer. That, yeah, is that a crappy beer? Disgustingly. What does that have to do with liberal arts educations? Uh, hipsters. Are hip? Okay, are hipsters liberal arts? I don't know. I generally feel that hipsters follow or subscribe to liberal art thought generally. I guess. Uh, so at least they're the ones that get made fun of the most for subscribing to liberal art thought. <laughs> sure. So, uh, got any final final thoughts on Kingsman? I mean, overall, it was a movie that was meant to be had fun at. It was definitely directed uh, towards people who are in our generation, with the sense of humor and the sort of things that were happening. Um, but overall, I I I absolutely adored it. Yeah, and I, I don't say this very often. Like, usually if I recommend that somebody go and see a movie, you know, I'm talking about, like, go and, you know, see it once in, in the theater or, you know, whatever, rent it. I think that this movie is actually worth, like, buying and mm -hmm. owning. And, you know, so that you can watch it many times over the course of your life. Yes. Because it is, it is a hilariously good time. Concurred. Uh, so... The other thing that I've been watching this week is Daredevil, because that just came out on Netflix, um, and of course it is the catalyst, the reason that I now have a Netflix account. Thank you very much, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I don't really think that Daredevil is my kind of show. Um, and I'm going to I'm I'm going to try to judge it without like you know not just from my taste point of view, but also from like um, from a quality point of view, you know. So yeah. the the reasons that it's not really my it doesn't really fall into my taste is because um, it's trying to be like really gritty, really dark, um, and and sometimes that's okay, but it, you know it kind of takes it and and you know it's like um, you know so so basically Daredevil is kind of this like half-assed version of Batman, I would say. Um, you know, so he, like, he doesn't have super strength or anything. Um, he just has, like, heightened senses and, ex- except for vision, of course, because he's blind. And, uh, you know, the, the just, I don't care how much I get beat up mentality, basically. So people can wail on him for a really long time, and he, you know, he gets hurt, but, like, he, he just keeps fighting. Um, and, uh. Um, you know why, right? What? You know why, right? Why what? Like the reason why he's fighting, the reason why he got blind, and the reason why he's fighting. Uh, so they haven't revealed a whole ton of his backstory. They actually were kind of light on that. I'm I'm only about halfway through the series. There's 13 episodes, um, mm. and really like so. I know that he was in some sort of car accident kind of thing where he saved somebody's life and got chemical burns on his eyes, which is why he's blind. Um, I'm not sure if the chemical stuff has anything to do with the rest of his senses being heightened or if that's just like natural human ability that he has trained himself to be able to use more. Um, hmm. That's that's a little different from the comics. Right. Of course it is. This is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The comics, though, see, the comics, it's significantly more gritty, so I'm surprised they didn't stick with the comics. Okay. In the comics, his dad was a boxer. Yes. That's, Yes. And then his dad was shot in front of his eyes, and he was beat up um, and was kind of blinded there, but in part because of the chemical spill, because um, they, like, knocked him out and then into some chemicals, um, which I realized how silly it would be to have just chemicals lying on the side of the road that could do that sort of thing. Um, but the chemicals gave him, I think, some slightly sight, or they gave him the ability to hear really well, at least. Yep. Um, to the point where he he essentially had echolocation. Um, yeah, yeah, he definitely the sense of hearing is the one that they focus on most. Uh, but they also, you know, he's mentioned things like uh, he can he can smell this guy down on the third floor, you know, and um, he's coming up here looking for me, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just super high senses and reflexes and whatnot. So and yeah, his I mean, his dad did die, but uh, he didn't. It, it didn't happen right in front of him. Oh. Um, and and part part of that I think was because they wanted to have uh, some scenes where, um, you know, uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, main character as a kid, um, you know, had had a while where he was living with his dad and he was already blind. Hmm. Not in the comics. It's not like that. No, I know. I'm I'm saying that that's why they did it differently. I think is so they could have those scenes. Ian, do you understand what I'm saying? Apparently not. <laughs> yes, I get what you're saying. Um, so yeah, basically, um, yeah, he, you know, he he doesn't care about how much how much you know pain he he's in, how much of a beating he takes, which makes this a really really violent show. 
You know, they they just like have all sorts of blood all over the place. The fight scenes are like I don't enjoy watching them because like um you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the the techniques that he uses are ways to hurt other people that also hurt himself. You know, so he'll like he'll kind of like whip around, like jump and, you know, whip his his legs in a in a circle upwards and then you know kind of drop kick them kind of thing but then he like slams his own body into the ground with that momentum um you know and it's just like oh man I, that does not look i mean fights aren't supposed to look enjoyable but geez <laughs> this is ridiculous um yeah so that that's one thing that i don't really like about it um i i also don't like some of the messages that 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 the like uh, show is kind of sending unintentionally. Um, so at at least as of the f- the first episode, you know, we had like basically only only white men are heroes in this show. Um, the, the all of the women who there was only like one woman in the first episode, and she was a victim. Um, luckily, throughout the show, she's kind of had uh, more of a character arc and and has been doing things on her own. You know, investigations and and trying to figure out what's going on independent of uh, what Daredevil's doing. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah. The, uh, all, of the, all of the immigrants that you see, basic, well, basically all the immigrants that you see in the show are criminals. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got all of these, like, um, big, big criminal elements that, uh, you know, are just, like, summed up as, oh, those are the Russians, or, oh, those are the, those are the uh, you know, Chinese heroin makers. And it's like, yeah, how how awful can you get in, and lazy in your writing? Um, Apparently very and very. Yeah. Also, would you give a kid scotch? Probably not. Probably not, no. But, uh, you know, his dad gave uh, gave him scotch in one of the scenes where he was a kid so that he could give his dad stitches and not have uh, shaky hands. That was a little weird for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So... As for, um, obviously, so all of the stuff that I've talked about right now is just kind of general uh, about the show itself. Now I want to talk kind of about its connection to the wider cinematic, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so, so far, basically, the summary is uh, this is taking place in, um, in uh, um, New York City, uh, you know, a, a while after the Avengers movie, yeah, turn your head. <laughs> Getting wind. Um, so I'll so break it then, it, <laughs> or pass it. Passing wind. Wait, is no. that is that a phrase? No, wait, it's passing gas. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my phrases. Um, oh, so anyway, so so learn how to properly bad English. This <laughs> so the show takes place in uh, New York City. And it's a little while after the the events of the Avengers, and you know, of course, the the whole city kind of got really terribly beaten up uh, during the Chitauri invasion, and um, because of that, all of the, all of that destruction stuff apparently left open the door for organized crime to kind of take over in in a lot of these areas that are now hurting and you know don't have proper infrastructure anymore. Um, I guess, yeah, seems plausible. Um, and, and so I believe that 
the this this show and the other Marvel Cinematic Universe Netflix shows that are coming in the future uh, is going to be kind of like a, a mini Avengers sort of thing where you get each individual show um, introducing uh, a different superhero, except that these superheroes are like really small-time heroes and they're mostly just going to be fighting normal human crime sorts of things. Um which fits definitely with the theme of, of this show. Um, but other than that, it doesn't seem like it has a whole lot of connections with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, like, there, there isn't anything in here that has anything to do with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, you know, any, any of that, any of the events in there. Um, I haven't seen anything referenced anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, actually, actually, um, so the, the, neighborhood that it takes place in they they you know it's called hell's kitchen and nobody ever says like past past like the first episode i think you know they mentioned that they're in new york city but like nobody ever talks about new york everybody always just talks about hell's kitchen hell's kitchen hell's kitchen and so i thought kind of that that was uh just a made-up name for the series you know for for this uh for this for this comic book kind of thing like this fictional Hell's Kitchen area of of New York, but no, Hell's Kitchen is actually a real neighborhood in New York. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, I know it's also a restaurant. Um, yes, but that actually makes sense as the name of a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Like, who in their right mind would name a neighborhood Hell's Kitchen? Like, would you want to live in a place called Hell's Kitchen? I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Um, no. Mm. I mean. At least everything there would be spicy, because it'd be ridiculously hot. Everything in the neighborhood would be spicy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah. My my takeaway from the show is it's definitely not. It's not one of my favorite things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In fact, it might be. It's probably one of my least favorites that I've that I've seen in the in in the universe so far. Uh, but that being said, like, I'm still going to finish it. Um, and I mean, should, should others watch it who aren't as dedicated to seeing everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as I am? Uh, if you're into, like, crime, like, really dark, gritty crime shows with violence, sure. If not, don't do it. (laughs) It's not worth it. And I mean, that's, that's not to say that the, you know, the show doesn't have, like, good moments, um... You know, it has plenty of those, but like overall, it's not it's not my type of show. Yeah. And luckily, uh, luckily that's you know it's not the only thing that I'm getting Netflix for. <laughs> so it's not like you know I'm I'm just uh, starting up uh, a free trial on Netflix and then dumping it after I'm done with the show. Or so we hope. I, I well yeah. <laughs> I mean Netflix Netflix has just a beautiful user interface. Like all all things, uh, everything else aside, you know they they have an enormous selection, and um, you know probably the best subscription price in in that area. Period. Uh, they, wow, yeah, Netflix does a lot of things right as a company. I can't find any faults with them really. They're pretty good. Not not that I can either. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, that's that's all of the big stuff that I did this week. Most of the rest of it was Hearthstone, <laughs> and of course, working on uh, you know school stuff. Yes. Speaking of games, um, 
and fun game things. Uh, yeah. After this, so you said that I was going to do Besiege, or I said that I was going to do some Besiege. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to give me a hand on um, getting that recorded and hanging out with me? And uh, Well, apparently I'm going to be watching Scott Pilgrim vs. the World tonight. Oh. Uh, which is also video game related. Yeah. Um, so I am pr- priorly engaged. Am I using that phrase right? Previously. Previ- previously engaged. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, let's see. What does is, what is this week have in store for us? I'll probably get into the Talos Principle. Because, uh, man, that is, it looks like such a great game. And you're having a good time with it. So I definitely need to play it. Um, but also, I'm hoping, hoping to get through uh, the episode of uh, Game of Thrones that came out. Um, and... Yeah, probably won't. Probably won't get around to Life is Strange. That one's been just sitting there begging me to play it for a long time. I still have it. So wait, so, okay. Well, okay, we'll talk afterwards. So, yeah. At least helping me find out what recording software I have and how to use said recording software. Oh my goodness. Okay, we're, okay. I can do that. <laughs> so this has been 8-Bit, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ian Buck. And I'm Ian Decker. Signing off. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That was Matt. Hello. Oh. They're all on the computer. Got it. Is anyone there? Everything is static. Wait. Oh. Oh, that's hilarious. Incidentally, it is. <laughs> that is kind of funny. Because it's unchanging and it crackles. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was right. It's Chrome. <laughs> I just opened it back up and it immediately spiked. It's insane. You don't <laughs> even know. That's crazy. This is gonna be a fun one to troubleshoot. What is that? What what is what is that? How what how does Chrome even get into the picture of controlling your volume level? <laughs> and I mean, so what is that? Just a volume level within Audacity, or is that? Uh... No, no, that's the that's the system wide recording input level. What? Oh, you know what it could be. What? So Chrome has that you know OK Google thing. Yeah. So maybe it's adjusting the recording volume level to make it so that it's ideal for OK Google support. Goodbye.